microphone. El microphone. Je dois toi, mon ami. Well, that sounds like real French. Do you know French? I did take a little French in high school. I knew a little French. Mm. That's fancy. I Bonjour. took like six years of Spanish and I uh, I got nothing. Well, that is a, that's a great segue to this week's episode. We interviewed Andy Andrews, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is, a, he, I'm serious. I really like this guy a lot. Oh, yeah? Yeah. He was awesome. And um, he came early, which is funny. And yeah. Josh and I were busy. So he like <laughs> made himself at home in my living room. With and, a diet Mountain Dew. Yeah, and then I had to make him move his car. Very professional. We are here. <laughs> Your dogs were jumping up. Podcast. Yes. <laughs> it's great stuff. He, he like rolls up, rolls but, uh, up. Yeah, he played in, I mean, he's in the North Carolina Tennis Hall of Fame. Yeah. And he also is the founder and CEO of a huge firm that builds buildings. Skyscrapers. Skyscrapers and big buildings. L-E-E-D certified green buildings. Mm -hmm. And just a lot of fun to talk to. Just a cool guy. Loved sharing his story. It's just so great to do this and hear people share their stories. He just, he said he wanted to open up and share about how he was inspired by a few mentors and wants to continue that legacy with you listeners. Yeah. So let's get into it. Let's do this. Here we go. Episode six, Andy Andrews. Episode six. All right, so welcome to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast, where we help you get unstuck, tell a better story, have a good answer to the question, what are you doing today? Today on the podcast, we are super excited to have Andy Andrews. Do you like to go by Andy? I do go by Andy. Yeah, such a good name. You got it twice. I don't know. It, it, you know <laughs> everybody wonders if my parents name me Andrew Andrews, but no. So. <laughs> Uh, they named you. Andy. No, they, it's, not it's Andy. Alexander. Oh, so, okay. but it oh. just Andy is uh, Andy is the way it goes. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, we're really excited to have you on the show. Can you just start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? You're local. You're I am local. I grew up, grew up in Raleigh um, and stayed around here till I was 15 years old, and then went away to a prep school in Virginia and came back and uh, went to NC State, and then uh, traveled around the world playing professional tennis. After that, for about five years, and then. Came back to Raleigh, then moved to Richmond, Virginia in the in the early nineties, and then came back here in about ninety seven. Have been here ever since. Yeah. Mm. Well, I want to hear a little bit more about playing professional tennis. What was that like? Being it was pretty the, cool. What was it? What was kind of the experience of being on the road? Like, what did it? What did it? I'm, I'm really curious. What did it feel like to step on the court with people who are the best at what they do? It was pretty nervous. Yeah, it, I would tell you first. Let me go back and answer your first question. To to be on the tour to walk out in a grand on a grand slam court was the coolest thing that ever happened to you as a person. Mm-hmm. So you and my story about I was just finished at NC State and I was on the pro tour for three months and I got to play in the U.S. Open. So I qualified for the U.S. Open and I, I'm walking out there playing Yannick Noah, who was ranked number four in the world at the time. And they, as you're walking out to play on the court, they ask you, you know, Mr. Andrews, you got five minutes before you go out and you need to go pee. And yes, I need to go pee. And I go in, I can't pee. I'm so nervous. I, mean, I, I, I don't even, I don't even know my name. I don't I walk, know that I've ever been so nervous that I can't pee. It is unbelievable. It's a moment in time that you won't forget. And um, I played great. I lost in five sets. And it just sort of proved to me that, you know, hey, maybe I can compete at this level. But it was a dream all my life from nine years old to the time I walked out at the U.S. Open. I always wanted to play all the Grand Slams and try it. I knew I wasn't going to be 
the best, but I wanted to play it as long as my body and my money held out. Mm -hmm. And so um, I gave it a try. So it was it was a lot of fun. And you could imagine at 21 years old what it's like to travel around the world. Uh, didn't have a lot of money to say the least at that. There wasn't a lot of money in our sport, but just to get out there and go to every continent in the world, all the different countries, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Mm. Who was, um, who were you most nervous to play against? Anybody that was better than me, but no, <laughs> I, I lost to them all. So that, you know, didn't beat McEnroe played, played McEnroe the first day he was ever ranked number one in the world. Played him in Queens the week before Wimbledon. Oh, good. So you got to get him at his peak. Got him at just why not? You know, I, I lost to him. I want to play Macro. I want to play him at the top of his Oh, yeah. Game. So the first day he's ranked number one in the world. It was a big day for the press. So we're walking out to the court. As we split to go to our respective chairs, he has 50 cameramen going to his chair with him. And I'm sitting over there tying my shoes and I don't have one, anybody caring about me, which is fine. I was nervous enough. And my coach, who I think you just described the way I feel all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so my coach decides to walk out of the player's box with an instamatic oh, kneel down in front of me oh. and he goes, say cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and all the cameramen over there stop at one time. They got these huge lenses over there and I'm smiling and I go, coach, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was pretty cool, but it was a, uh, just a dream come true. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Who's your big influence when you were younger? I could definitely say the guy that took that instrumatic camera picture of me at, at that match, he taught me how to play when I was nine, uh, taught me how to work hard, um, you know, gave me inspiration that I could accomplish anything. He was around till I was about 15. And then, uh, then when I came back and went to play tennis at NC state, he was the coach there. And, hmm. uh, he was a big part of my success. And, um, and then not, you know, I was a good, good player going into college. And then I became, since I was a two time All American, you can say you were a great player going out of college. He was my inspiration because he was a, John Sadry was a senior and I was a freshman. And he taught me the definition of work hard. Mm. And so that made all the difference in the world, you know, Yeah. whereas you think you know how to work hard mm. until you have somebody that is great mm -hmm. explain to you how to work hard. Uh, that's an incredible experience. You know, he, you know, on an average day, maybe at five o'clock, I'm packing my bag and going to go eat at the chow hall and he yells down the court, where do you think you're going? And you know, you need to practice more. Mm. I'd stay out there an extra hour and a half and do the things I needed to do. Uh -huh. And he, then we hooked up and played doubles together and we were best friends and uh, we are to this day, but he taught me the definition of hard work, which I've sort of taken into business because it's the same thing, right? Mm. Yeah. I've heard you say that about hard work being free. What is that? Well, it, it is, it is funny. You know, everybody, everybody's out there trying to find something that helps give them a leg up in business or in whatever you're doing. I call business anything other than sports, so to speak. Mm. And, you know, hard work. And somebody asked me the definition, well, what do you mean hard work? Mm. You know? And, and I said, well, 
are you doing the extra things beyond your work day? Like if I need to understand what my competition's doing, am I going and walking my competition? Am I going and studying what my competitors are doing? Am I studying my markets? Do I know what I need to do? What, you know, what are the trends? All the things that are different than your daily job, Hmm. you have to take it to the next level to understand what you're doing. And it's the same in tennis. When you went out there and practiced, what are you practicing? How are you being more efficient? And in in sports, uh, especially individual sports and in basketball, there's no different basketball and football, lacrosse, soccer, whatever. You have to have two weapons. And so how do you create those weapons? You know, whether it's your footwork whether it's your mental abilities, Mm -hmm. whether it's your forehand or backhand or your serve, you have to have two weapons that your opponents are afraid of. Mm -hmm. And in golf, the same thing. You have to count on a shot all the time that you know will be there. Mm -hmm. And so... Why two weapons? Because one, the opponent can figure out how to defend against. But two, they can't figure that out all the time. You always have an opportunity to show one of those weapons. (laughs) Two of them... It's hard. It's hard to play a guy that can have two shots that yeah. you can defend against. So, uh, and you can always watch. You can watch a guy play in an hour, and if he's only got one weapon, you know he's only he's going to be limited in how high he can go. Mm-hmm. So it's the same with golf. If you're really good at all the shots, that's okay. But if you're excellent at two shots, you're putting, you're driving, mm-hmm. you're at, you, you you might make it. Mm-hmm. So uh, my son played college golf so we studied all the great players and how do you get yeah. good mm. so, do you think that's a principle that universalizes into business totally two weapons totally i was fortunate to you know sort of take that work hard attitude into studying you know i had to defend my lack of athletic ability and how do you defend that then you have to study your opponent's game to be able to predict what he's going to do on a shot. So I had to protect my lack of speed. So I had to already be moving before he hit the shot Mm -hmm. so that I could get to the next shot. So you had to understand his, you know, his normal thinking, what he was going to do. So the two shots in business is what are you really good at? You know, you have to create what you're good at and stick to that. Like, Mm. Our business, we do. Two, we focus on two things in development, and uh, you know, instead of getting outside of our box, we do office buildings and apartments, and we do mixed-use towers. So we do mid-rise and high-rise buildings. Why don't we do industrial? Why don't we do retail? Why don't we do hotels? Yeah, stick to what you know and perfect those. How did you get? How did you? So you've achieved two dreams in one lifetime. How did you, what, what was it? When did you, when did you envision dream, see this future or what, what was the, how did you get into doing what you do? What do you do now? And how did you get into doing it? Presently, I'm CEO and chairman of a company I created with uh, two other people. And um, we are a development company, full service real estate company, and we acquire buildings and we develop buildings. So we take raw land and develop, We've got two high-rise towers going up right now. Each one's worth about $120 million. So we're in eight cities. 
how did I decide that that's what I was going to get into? You know, it's interesting. I'm out there playing tennis around the world in countries I'd never imagined. I didn't even know how to get to some of these countries. I, <laughs> yeah. I went to Cairo, Egypt, and I was halfway over the Atlantic, and I said, you know, I'm not really sure I know where Cairo, Egypt is. <laughs> oh, and, well, there weren't phones. There wasn't internet. Yeah. There was You were just flying, yeah. you know, and going. And um, it, it, it was an interesting time when you're out there competing and you know you're not the best. And you know you're not, there's no money. So you know you're not going to do this forever. Yeah. You can't because it's, it's not, you're not making a living. Mm-hmm. So I always thought, well, you know, what else am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And while I was in these foreign countries, there was no English speaking TV. There was nothing you could do in your hotel room other than listen to music or read books. So while I was in these big cities, I would go and wander around the streets and actually go walk buildings. Mm. Yeah. Some people say, well, that's stupid. That sounds very safe. Yeah. (laughs) So there I am. There was no security back those days. So they just let me. I'd go up in the elevator and go to the top of the restaurant, this 60 story tower in Hong Kong and see the city. Yeah. And I would do this every afternoon. That's good. And then I just said, you know, I did that and I loved it. I wonder if I can do that later. It's it's a long way to get from there. Mm -hmm. To today, so I started when I got hurt in my third year on the pro tour. My career was over. Mm. So you know that's a pretty traumatic experience going from your one in a million mm. people you know, being in the top hundred, then you're just one of another million in real estate, right? Anybody mm. can go do real estate, and so I kind of took that work hard mentality. Worked for a large company, started at the bottom and worked my way up. And just by working hard and be willing to do any job, I was doing the some of the grunt stuff that nobody else wanted to do and working, you know, 12, 14 hour days. And you give up a lot, but you gave up a lot in tennis. So it was pretty easy. Mm-hmm. So then I just ended up keep pushing and keep learning the different aspects of the business and worked for that company for 19 years, moved all the way up to the executive vice president. And then kind of looked in the mirror one day and said, let's go do it. Let's start our own company. Mm. And uh, here we are. Yeah. What was what was the deciding factor to start up on your own and leave what was probably a, a good paying, comfortable? Yeah. Had a lot of people After ask me that. 19 years. I mean, you probably knew how stuff worked. You probably didn't have a lot of... <laughs> Uh, surprises happened. Uh, 19 years, uh, I wanted to learn the five. I wanted to be able to sit across the table and be able to answer anybody's question. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to experience every aspect of owning a commercial real estate firm. And I did. So that didn't mean I could go start my own company because it takes a lot of capital. Well, what really was the deciding factor was I wanted to do it. I just needed an extra push out the door. Yeah. What was what your push? That, the push was we had a large company in Birmingham, Alabama. I was the only partner outside of Birmingham. And uh, we had a management basically change. I was going to be the next uh, CEO. So they had a vote. I was voted in as the next CEO, and I was going to spend half my time in Birmingham and half my time in Raleigh. Chairman went to bed that night, woke up the next morning and said, I've changed my mind. I'm staying and I'm bringing in my two sons. And so I had to make a decision at that time. Did I want to work here for the rest of my life 
and work for his two sons or go start my own company. Yeah. That's a plot twist. Because yeah. he went from, I'm the guy, to I'm never going to be was the a, guy. It was a weird 12 hours <laughs> Yeah, to wake up and you were the guy, like you said, and you're never going to be the guy. That's and the inciting incident, isn't it? And the story and the change boom. of the story, it's boom. But so is breaking your hand in professional sports. That's you right. You wake up the next day and you are no longer doing what you've been doing your whole life. Textbook storytelling. And you have to you have to get up mm-hmm. and make a decision mm-hmm. and not feel sorry for yourself. Yep. And you got... And it's not easy. Mm-hmm. And it is it is a lot yeah. of gut wrenching tightening your tighten your shoelaces yep. and just get up and do it. I had that. I was a, a aspiring pro motocross racer and I broke a collarbone and ended up in arts college dancing. In, so, in, in if you can't be a motorcycle guy, you, you got to go on stage. You got to go. Dance. You got to let it out. You, you just can't get that, that adrenaline makes, rush anywhere that makes else. Makes a lot of but, sense. Right? Now you know me better, Joe. <laughs> but you something made that decision for you. An inciting incident. And you got so, it. So did mine. And if I look back on it, which I have, because a lot of people have said, "Why'd you leave that great job you had?" And and I have to say, I started in two thousand six. If you recall, 2006 was at the top of the real estate world. Mm. 2007, it crashed. So there you have it. We were so smart. We decided to start our own company right at the crash. <laughs> but you, you're in it. Yeah. So now we got to survive. But the changing of the to get out of tennis and to start in a business because of uh, I'd always been around through my father. I'd always been around a business environment, not a sports environment. So it was always, I can do this, but I didn't think tennis owed me anything. Tennis mm-hmm. didn't nobody. I just did it because I wanted to do it. Right. Yeah. Then you're out. I mean, you're, you're really out. You don't just wake up and say, I can do this 50% of the time. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to start all over. So uh, to your point, you start a different career yeah. and there you're off to the races. Yeah. Just rolled with it. You have to roll with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of people do you cat when you look back on that, do you categorize any of those steps in your journey as I'm just curious how you look at it. Do you categorize them as failures? Like I couldn't do it anymore. So now that's over. And so then there's like a grieving period and then it's trying to figure out what you want to do. Or did you feel like what you wanted to do wasn't really related to what you were doing? Did did you, has your why changed? Or like what motivates you to become a pro tennis player and then to start a company like. Yeah. I mean, the fail, I think the failure is an interesting word. I never looked at anything that I, that I was a failure. I've never said that word, whether I don't have success in an area or not. I didn't, you know, success is relative. Did I have success in pro tennis? It was relative. Yeah. I didn't make any money, you know, but I got to do what I set out to do, which was play all the grand slams and singles and doubles and try my best. That was it. So if I didn't win a grand slam, is that a failure? Yeah. You could categorically say it was, but did I fail? No, I did the best I could. I just wasn't good enough. So um, I saw that as an achievement and I took that same mentality. And took it to the next business, right? Mm-hmm. So, I you know I don't know. To your point, if you're trying, if you're trying at whatever you're doing, you know. And how do you know you're trying? Here's an old tidbit that I always used: when you get out of the shower and you're in front of a mirror, 
when you got no clothes on and you're by yourself and you look in that mirror, can you say in that mirror, I've given it my best? Mm. And if you can do that, then you're trying. But if you can't do that, then you try a little harder. Mm. And honestly, it's hard to do that. It's hard to look yourself in the eyes and say, I'm trying the hardest I can. I'm trying, you know, mentally preparing, physically preparing, getting ready. And could I have tried harder? Yes. Could I have tried harder? The answer is yes. Yeah. And do I, you know, do I fault myself sometimes for that? Yes. Because I had one chance. And I think when you're young, you think you're you're bulletproof and that opportunity is going to go on forever. Who knows you're going to get injured, right? Mm-hmm. So just some injuries take you out. So what do you think makes a difference for people to look at something the way you're looking at it? Like, it's not a failure. It was an experience. Experience. I feel like I, I put it all on the line. I did everything I wanted. People could find themselves in similar situations. And is the only thing that changed their perspective to be like, well, I guess, why do you think people just quit after an experience that doesn't go their way? Sometimes uh, what we would call many failures, like a defeat mm-hmm. or something doesn't go your way. Uh, and you have to decide if you you know love what you're doing um, it, and whether it's worth it to stick it out. Yeah. You know, and I don't know. Uh, no, I, and when I was raised, I was never asked, am I happy? You know, that song, the, the happy song. Oh, you know, I always laugh. I know I always laugh at that because I can never recall my dad asking me <laughs> if I was happy. Hmm. You know, he 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 would ask me, you know, how are things going? Am I, you know, am I having success? Am I making money? Hmm. He was a he was kind of a tough guy, right? What was his role in the in society? Tell us his job title. Uh, he was from around here, went to Carolina, then got his tax master's degree in Northwestern and then joined the Air Force late, or the Army Air Corps late in World War II and became a general flying fly B-17 bombers and then came back here and was an entrepreneur and very successful. But you, you know, the pressure was there to, to be successful and work hard, but I never competed with him because I, I didn't see that to be a really well, he drops safe, bombs. I mean, safe bet, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think you all have to have somebody you're aspiring to be mm. in anything that you do. I mean, so, y'all, you know, they're radio talk show hosts that y'all love and you dislike. Uh-huh. You want to be like that. Well, it's the same concept in sports. You, you aspire to be like that yeah. successful player. And I have it in my business. Uh, yeah. There are people that I've studied what they've done and I really want to emulate how they do it. it. I've heard it said, and I can't remember what book I read it in, but it's an important stage of life to be in what you're describing because you don't have the experience of success. So you need to emulate what success Mm. looks like until you build out the skill set and you can kind of do your own version of it. That's right. So important. So, But success is relative. Everybody has a hard time defining the word success. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, Okay. And that I think is the most difficult thing for tennis. Success wasn't money, but today it seems to be defined by how much money you made. Yeah. Success, you know, what we always said was if you just go win that match that day, mm-hmm. keep it in the present, then you had success. Mm. You know, but 
it, back in when we played because there was no money. My doubles partner got the finals of the got the finals of the Australian Open in singles. He was twelve in the world in singles, and and we got the finals of Australian doubles and semis, U.S. Open doubles. He got the quarters of Wimbledon singles, but he still didn't make any money because mm-hmm. there was no money to be made. So was he a success? The answer is yes, but. If you look at it on how much money may, yeah. the answer might be no. But so it's all relative. I think, I think, I think for people, you've got to keep it simple. I say that a lot. Keep it simple, stupid. Yes. Keep it simple. And if you do, you have a better chance of achieving your goals. Yeah. I make two year goals and five year goals. That's the way I live my life. And, and it's really important to stay in the present, you know. Stay in today, not think about tomorrow. You know, let's let's try to get better today and have and do what we're doing today. Yeah. But let's not worry about tomorrow yet. Yeah. We were just talking on a previous episode about that idea of success and we were trying to refine it down. And like, I feel like I can get a better under better grasp on fulfillment, like what fulfillment feels like for me. But I think the confusion with success for a lot of people is like, if it's money, right, there's always more money. Like you're never going to hit the limit and be like, that's it. Mm -hmm. I'm good. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't seem to happen for people. If it's, if it's a goal Mm -hmm. and your goal is success, what happens when you get the goal? Is your life over? Is that, is that the end of it? (laughs) Like, are you done? Just pack it in. Um, So when you talk about success, what have you learned is it, is it an answer? Like you were just saying that, like I view success as like just being present in today. And if I'm successful today, because maybe that's the only thing we can really control, right? We don't get to know how the markets are going to turn and how this is going to happen that affects this. And when's the next time somebody's going to come in and say, you're out and giving the company to my sons or, you know, you broke a collarbone. So you got to dance. I just imagine you angry dancing, like uh, <laughs> footloose. Like just, I like the sword fighting better than the dancing, just for the record. Well, you went straight to dance. Yeah, I did. I would, I would have to say you're, you're crossing into a lot of lines for me, which is, you know, you're getting into faith belief mm-hmm. and, um, you know, your fulfillment and, you know, you're not in control. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all know God's in control right. and you just have to do the best you can while on this earth. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you've been given a, a God given talent. Uh, to do some things. And it's, you know, from my perspective, it's my job to go out there and do the best I can at it, given the talent that I've been given. Mm. And um, I, I don't, I never really looked at things to say I was a success or not. That That's a, it's a tough word because I never sit there and say, okay, am I successful? Well, yeah. again, it goes back to who well, you compared it to. Right. Whose level of success. And, and, I don't know. I I just love what I do and I'm going to do it. And then if other people think I'm successful, great. Yeah. And if other people don't, great. I'm going to still do what I do. And hopefully it you know, it we don't fail at it because if we fail too miserably, then you shut down and then you quit hiring people. I mean, in the last 5 years we've hired 10,000 people wow. to go work on our projects and that's given them you know, payment for about a year and feed their families and a good job. And those are important things, you know, that just happened because you decided to work hard. So I don't know. That's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. 
Do you think, um, have you ever heard, I wonder if you've ever heard, have people ever said like stuff was handed to you? Cause you came from a successful family. Your dad was successful. Um, I'm curious to hear from your perspective. I've heard a lot of different ways, right? I don't know if you've heard the principle of the turtle on the fence post, but it's like a business analogy to say, who put you there? Somebody put that turtle there. It didn't climb up there. And, um, so there's a lot of discussion and thought, like, is it do, are you made successful by other people? Mm -hmm. Is it, is it a pull yourself up by a boost? Is it a combination of some other things? I don't think you probably know the answer, but I'm curious from your perspective, what have you learned about that in your journey? It's a great question. I think debatable from many different directions. Um, you know, there's a, uh, to take that a step further, is it all genetic or is it surroundings? Yeah. Cause I think sports play a big factor yeah. in that. Right. Cause you hear people mm-hmm. like, you want to be encouraging to little kids, but then you you see like somebody like you go to like a middle school basketball game. It's like, yeah, you're probably not going to play with Michael Jordan. Like, you, you know, you might not want to set oh. your goal there, bro. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, would you hear that all the time? I was growing up. You can you'll be never, anything you want. <laughs> you'll never make it. You'll never play college tennis. Yeah, you're right. not good enough. Well, I think this generation here so, is like, you're great. Hmm. They haven't heard that. Like, I think that's a whole they, different thing. They all think they're all going to be, all gonna be They're all going to yeah. be great. Instead, we were just, well, you'll never play college tennis. You know, you don't have this. You don't have. So uh, I, I've, yes, I had some advantages by being, my parents could afford lessons and give me the opportunity to play, but you have to either win or lose. Right. They can't do that for you. And then you, um, you get out there and you learn it's all about you. I, I mean, when I say I had no money, I started with $4,000 in the bank. I was not given a dime, wouldn't take a dime from my family. And I had two contracts from Nike and Prince that were going to pay me $30,000 throughout a year. Just because I was a two-time All-American. Now, that doesn't get you much. And there's no money out there, so you got to make it. And yeah. I don't, you know, was it a silver spoon? I certainly had more advantages than certain people because, I, you know, I, I could afford when I was younger to take lessons and, and understand how to yeah. get better. But also, I was given that work ethic from my dad. You got to take advantage of being born an American. Mm. I hate to yeah. put that, but that's a real term yeah. that you yeah. have to understand that I could do anything I wanted to if I put my mind to it and just went out yeah. and tried. Mm. So that's how I treated it. And we had a deal. He wasn't going to give me a nickel. And I had two years to either be top hunter in the world or make $100,000 or I had to come back and go to law school. Mm. And I ran out of money. I ran out of money six months into it. I had mm. I had a round trip ticket back from Australia and I was staying in an old folks' home. I had no money in my bag. And uh wait, why were you staying in an old folks home? I had no money. <laughs> it was the cheapest way. I I rented an That's old a great folks idea, room. Joe. <laughs> I rented a room in an old folks' home for a month <laughs> and um stayed there during the Australian tour. And so you paid prepaid a month. I yeah. had a prepaid ticket back, and I was playing in the last round of qualifying in the Australian Open, and I was down a break in the fifth set mm-hmm. to a guy named Victor Pecci. And uh, I pulled out some sweatbands or something in my – back then you did traveler's checks, and my traveler's yeah. check bag opened up, and it had a 20 in it. Huh. And I said, 20? And I just kind of went through the other one and looked, and it was empty, and I had a 20. <sighs> 
That's all I had, $20. And I, and I had prepaid room and board. I didn't have any more money. Well, had and so money. if I lost that match, yeah, I had to go home and go to law school. Or if I won that match, wow. I got first round money or whatever and the t- main draw. And, um, you know, sure, you still have to go out and do whatever you're doing, right? Yeah. And if I think, I think for me, the challenge somehow, I don't know why. Right. I don't know why I love a challenge. I don't, I can't say why. Yeah. I do. So there's something in you that looks at a skyscraper and says, I want to build that. Yeah. How am like, I going to do it? Like King Kong. <laughs> how am I going to do it? How am I yeah. going to do it? And how am I going to, is it the know, puzzle that excites you? Like puzzle's the pretty cool. It? Yeah. It's a puzzle. It's a creation and then figuring it out. We call them two, two, and two. Two years to create it, two years to build it, and two years to fill it up. So mm. the creation of the two years and the risk, yeah. the money, it's all. Then on the, the seventh puzzle. day, you rest, right? <laughs> yeah. Ooh, boy, two you two better not. The seventh you better day. not. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you know. no rest for you. Oh, I'll yeah. take a year off. Uh, you, but <laughs> two years is a long time. A lot can change in yeah. Yeah. development phase. Well, well, I don't, I don't think I'm smart enough to know the answer to the question about like what we were talking about earlier. But I'll tell you what I have noticed and mm-hmm. what I think is true mm-hmm. is that you can't affiliate uh, the advantage that comes from a background with well, most people success, put yeah. success because people attain it through multiple backgrounds. Yeah. yeah There's absolutely. no like, but there are common denominations from people that do really well and their, their ingredients like hard work and persistence, mm-hmm. grit, really understanding what they're passionate about and working hard and focus, like doing that thing, like find out what you're good at and mm-hmm. do that thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think people, my opinion is that people attribute way too much credit to things like, um, your background. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they're, they're definitions in your story, they're building blocks, they're chapters in your story. Mm -hmm. Um, but they certainly, I mean, history has proven they're not limiting factors. I think today people give way too much credit to where people went to school and how smart they are. Yeah. You know, I hire the smartest attorneys. Mm. I couldn't be one of them. Yeah. I wouldn't be one of them. Yeah. But we hire the smartest ones. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we outwork them and outmake them many folds. My my point to you, what you're saying is, you know, don't let anything be a hindrance in your success. Take advantage of your advantage. You can yeah. do anything you want. We used to say to guys that were young and work at the company, they said, well, what do you want me to focus on today? These were guys that were learning how to be deal makers. And I'd say, well, open the door. Yeah. Mm. Open the door. Because when you go out, it's all yours. You can do anything you want out there. Mm-hmm. You go find it and figure it out. Do you think everybody's got, you were mentioning earlier, do you think everybody's got two weapons? I think, I think people, um, today is so different and I don't mean that to sound old, but today is so different than it was in the sense that people really are more interested in having fun and that uh, recreational time and pleasure time is much more important than the hard work time. And and that's fine. But I think people have to take advantage of their advantage a little better. Mm. You, You know, you, it's harder to be a success when the economy's in the tank. Yeah. So when the economy is good, you got to take advantage of that and you got to go work a little harder. Yeah. And 
you'll have recreational time when the economy goes bad. Hmm. So sometimes you have to, you know, set things aside. And, you know, I don't mean to sound like a coach about the work hard thing, but just be committed yeah. to what you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. I was um, I was listening to an audio book yeah. and the, the point that the author was making was about a study that they did for Goldman Sachs. And what Goldman Sachs had learned throughout this study was that the people that attended Ivy League schools would mm-hmm. stay at Goldman Sachs and they recruited like for, for them, they were looking for the best of the best go-getters, hard workers, committed, understand it's a very stressful job to work on the trade floor. And of the people that they recruited from Ivy League schools that were successful, they found an interesting trend that after a year or two, getting a little bit of success under their belt, they would be like, oh, you know what? Everybody was right. I am awesome. And they'd go start their own thing. But the people they would hire from like a state school or somebody would attribute the success that they had at Goldman Sachs to Goldman Sachs, giving them a chance Mm -hmm. and viewed it as loyalty Mm -hmm. and stayed Mm. and became and outperformed the the Ivy League Mm. school people. Is that kind of what you were were saying about like giving too much credit to education? I think people give too much credit to, you know, what people think they know. You know, it's a, it's a, you know, jump to conclusions today. I think you've got to go out there and figure things out, not try to predict the future. You got to stay in your, yeah, stay in your comfort zone. Uh, I, I felt loyal to the company that gave me a, a, a shot. Mm-hmm. And when I was working my way up, I felt loyal because they were allowing me to learn all aspects of the business because I put yeah. in the hours. So that, Made me stay 19 years. Right. I mean, 19 years, a long time. That's almost a career. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when I broke away, we're still friends. We broke away in an amicable style that allowed us to still be friends. That's good. uh, So um, we still see each other and talk all the time. So, but I do think it's hard to go start your own gig, just like you guys doing this. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you went out there on a limb and just decided to do it, right? Yeah. 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 It's a lot of fun. I was telling my wife, who knows if anything is going to come out of it. But, and I think Josh was talking before we started rolling, like it's a passion project. You got to do something that you like because you like it. Yeah. And I like it. It's weekly too. So we know on Tuesday we do this and that's an accountability thing and it helps us keep on track. Right. And grow from there. Structure, structure, structure in the chaos. Yeah. We interrupt this episode to bring you an update on our meditation challenge. Welcome to the Guys Who Do Stuff Daily Call. Are you meditating, Joe? Yes. I'm meditating right now. (laughs) I've never stopped. (laughs) So you're on like a nine day streak, right? Yeah. I've been using the Calm app, which Mm -hmm. has been great. I don't know if you guys remember, but we were challenged by one of our early guests, David Morgan, when we asked him what one of his weapons of choice was Mm -hmm. to meditate. Yeah. So we decided we should do this. Yeah. And then we decided we should probably do it for more than like 10 minutes before we talk about it on the, on the, on the podcast. Yeah. So I think we've been doing it for about two weeks. That's right. And, um, I've been using the call map from Apple. It's free. Yeah. And then I'm through all the free stuff now. (laughs) <laughs> you so, just blazed right through the free stuff. Them, I'm not. I'm not to the point where I'm giving them sixty bucks yet. Can you the reuse year. the free stuff? Yeah, you can listen to the free stuff. All you got to get a good year of meditating out of that, right? Before yeah. it's just driving you nuts. My sister sent me a link to a website. I'll put it on the on the 
on the blog there. So you guys can get that one too. And also there's some free stuff that's in audible right now. Yeah. And I tried that one. Not a fan. Not a fan of the no. free audible meditation. Guides. No, it was just, it wasn't for me. I'm, I'm used to sitting still, I guess, during meditation, but this guy was like, go ahead and stand up and like Eagle breathe. So I have two highlights in my meditation journey in the past couple of weeks. And one of them, well, oh yeah, exercises, of course. So I was in uh, Charleston recently for a, a shoot down there and I had this hotel room and I requested a even more special hotel room because of the view. So I got this great view in this room and I just meditated looking out the view at the view of the yeah. sailboats. It was so nice. And everybody looking at you, just like, that's a weird man up there. Yeah, I know, right? Were you playing Congos shirtless? No, <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> very Matthew McConaughey. Very Matthew McConaughey, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so no, but my second highlight was on my bicycle. I went out into this nature, uh, this place is being developed and it's just full of just open, vast lumber that and timber that's cut down down and in beautiful uh, in a beautiful place and i meditated there it was surreal yeah it was nice i kind of want to back up and talk about how i think younger joe would have been very embarrassed that joe at this age decided to meditate i think my impression of meditation initially was like a very like a far east yeah mysterious transcendental let's use some crystals and like sure substances you know put our yeah well there's the drug culture and all that it's just sitting still isn't it yeah i think when you boil why i find first of all i really enjoyed it Mm -hmm. and i get it and i think it's worthwhile yeah and the reason i think i get it and i didn't get it before Mm -hmm. is i think it's about learning how to do one thing at a time Mm -hmm. which is proving to be harder and harder to do nowadays Mm -hmm. and just training yourself to be focused on what you're doing yeah has been very valuable for me Valuable. And I think it's kind of like building up a muscle or a skill set yeah. to be able to do one thing at a time, which let's be real honest, as guys, we don't really struggle. That's about all we can do. Well, you said muscle. Isn't the brain actually a muscle? I mean, the, the mind is a... Hey, I'm not a scientist. I just... <laughs> <laughs> well, your brain looks like a muscle from here, Joe. So no, If you can but, see your brain, there's a problem. That is an interesting way to think about it, though. It, it, as a muscle, as a thing we use, it's like a verb, right? It does. It's like an engine. Like, why yeah. not just rest it? And yeah. uh, and I think there's a lot of value in this meditation thing and, yeah. and just being... Yeah. Yeah. And so if you're like me and you're ready to just be like, all right, I've listened to your podcast. That's okay. But I'm probably not going to meditate, you weirdo. I would say probably just good advice. Don't knock until you try it. Don't knock until you try it, people. Give it a shot. Maybe try for more than just a couple of days. That first, I'll be honest, my first couple of times were super awkward. Yeah. The lady's whispering in me. It's like a guided meditation from the Calm app. And she's like, imagine yourself as a mountain. And you hear that and yeah. I want to giggle because I'm like, guys are just middle school boys. Like, I'm yeah. not a freaking mountain lady. <laughs> like, I'm listening to like birds chirping and I'm like, I'm a mountain. I'm doing it. Yay. Yay. But if you stick with it, you kind of see the value of it. Like, you're not just pretending to be a mountain that doesn't do anything for you, but you're trying to. And uh, I think really what you're trying to do is take time to pause and objectively look at your life and what's going on in your surroundings and figure out what you're feeling and what you can learn from that and yeah. how to be a better person. Yeah. Just process things and just take time to, uh, to, uh, I was going to say decompose, but that's not no. the right word. Well, there'll be time for that. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not get ahead of ourselves here, Joe. Yeah. Let's just meditate. Yeah. Just but process. Right. Eventually though, we'll do the guys who do stuff decompose challenge. Oh, you and I will do it. <laughs> oh goodness. We'll use our plant life, our bi- botanist selves. All right. Wow. Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening back to the episode. You want to talk a little about the green aspect of your development? 
Yeah, that's uh, pretty important to us. It, you know, is it can't possibly be easier or cheaper? Like, <laughs> no, no, it's not cheaper and it's not easier because uh, you know I, I would say there will. Uh, when I started doing it twelve years ago, there were a lot further along in West Coast cities and Northern cities than we were in the South. Yeah, mm-hmm. nobody really knew what it meant, or and so we we had to start it from the ground up. But I got on this forum, a national forum that had developers from 30 cities on the form and you were in a non-competitive environment. So uh-huh. they weren't my next door neighbor. They were in a different okay. lo- geographic location than me. And we all shared ideas of what each one was doing in developments and everything we were running into. And all of a sudden, these guys from the West Coast and the North started talking about these green buildings. And I'd never heard the term hmm. and never been a part of anything going on in the South. And so I started listening and diving into it and realizing, hey, we should be doing it. <clears throat> not for the reason that, you know, to be a tree hugger, that's not the yeah. intent. The intent was let's use less energy. Mm-hmm. Let's fill up less landfills. Let's lo- use recyclable project or product and let's buy locally. Mm. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, teaching people how to design that and teaching people how to construct it, mm-hmm. they have to talk a lot during the whole process. At the end of the day, we started building it and people didn't really accept it up front. It really was. And we kept doing it. And, our operational costs are much cheaper than anybody else's. If if you have a normal $8 a foot that it costs to operate an office building, I'm operating mine for $7 a foot. So I'm using wasting less energy, right? Mm-hmm. Which is helping. So uh, we started doing it in all areas. We do it in residential <coughs> apartments and we do it in office and we do it in our towers. Yeah. And, um, it's still a uphill battle. It's not done everywhere. Not every developer does it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we just got we just got recognized as the uh, for the by the United States Green Building Council for the best developer for green in South Carolina and North Carolina. And wow, congratulations! We yeah. take we take pride in that. Um, and it's you know it's just something that we should be doing anyway. Yeah. It it just takes more time. Yeah. And it does cost a little bit more, but. We're spending that money anyway. Yeah. So we might as well spend it on a good resource like that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mean spending anyways in the sense of it's going to cost all this resource and effort in the long run. Well, if I'm spending an X number of millions of dollars to build a building and I've got to spend Y number on green, mm-hmm. let's do it. Yeah. It's just time. Me meaning I've just got to get you the architect, you the contract. We got to get in a room. 20 people have to meet for about a thousand hours and figure it out. Yeah. So they just have to do it. Now, do they want to do it? No. Mm-hmm. But in the end, once we get the designation, mm-hmm. do they put that building on the front cover of their website? The answer is yes, mm-hmm. because they're proud of it. Yeah. yeah. It's worth the effort. So that's why we do it. So what what was it about building green that caused it for me? Because you could get excited about anything. There's a million causes. Like what? What was it for you that made you realize, well, that's not a cause. That's going to be my cause. I don't know if I started out that I'm going to be, as some of my partners call me, Dr. Green. I don't know if, I, <laughs> if that's what I turn out or be wanting to be called. I, I think it all, 
it, it just became something it was right to do. Mm. It wasn't that I said, well, let's just not cut down five trees. Let's cut down two. That's fine, too. But I just looked at it as we're spending less money in operating this building. We should be doing it. Yeah. it it's it's makes sense. For it's kind of, yeah. it's just a we should be doing it as good corporate citizens. Yeah. And we should be doing it um, now. Does an apartment renter go in there and pay me more per month to yeah. do it? Absolutely not. They will not. And they all claim to be interested in the environment. What they will do is if they're considering an apartment complex next door that's not green, mine is, they'll go to mine. Now, so I see that as a benefit. And when I mean green, it has to be certified by some organization. So mm-hmm. I can't yeah. just put a green leaf on it and say it's green. It's got right. to go through the criteria. Yeah. So are you preparing for the influx of more electric cars? Yeah, I'd actually drive a, a Tesla sometimes. Uh, and I really liked it because it was, I wanted to see, and it's, it's phenomenal, but mm-hmm. the, you know, we are seeing, uh, we are seeing people use Ubers more frequently and less cars, yeah. uh, people living the buildings we create. You could actually live up top or yeah. down below and you could ride the R line in downtown to anywhere you wanted to go to do mm-hmm. your grocery shopping or to restaurant and bars. At so, a certain point for some people, it doesn't make sense to own a car. At some point, I think the, the younger generation and the older generation, mm-hmm. it's it's a pretty good idea not to own one. Uh, it hasn't happened yet, but I think it's moving in that direction slowly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mass transit, look what went on in Charlotte with that three-mile light rail, rail system. Yeah. I mean, if you go up and down there and see this probably – $20 billion of investment down the light rail. And every day it's packed to the gills coming into downtown. Oh, wow. So those people aren't riding cars. Yeah. And now they're younger people. You know, it'd be hard to be there with three children yeah. in an apartment complex, but it's great. So it's a great place to meet people if you're single. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. There's yeah. a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's great fun. And uh, I think the green thing is, it's it's taken a world of its own, but it's 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 actually uh, we're continuing to do it. We we do see the benefit um, at the end of the day. Yeah, they're, so, they're believe it or not, a lot of our equity partners like New York Life, Prudential, those big institutions, mm-hmm. they will only invest in green buildings now. So that's come full circle. 10, 12 years ago, they didn't really care about that. Now their investors want them to invest in green. So now they're doing it. So we've had a head start in, in making this. Uh, so the future is bright in an LED yeah, sense. So to speak. Yeah, it is. And But it is funny. We got the first, we do a lot of green builds. And one of them got a nice designation. And I invited, we were having a grand opening. I invited somebody to come. I said, would you like to come and see the first gold lead certified building in Wake County? And he said, I would. I, I really would. I'd like, to, I'd like to see the green aspects of it. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, we don't have grass walls and things <laughs> like that. And he goes, well, then what am I going to be looking at? And I said, nothing. You don't it, see it. You don't see it. And they don't, they don't understand that. Oh yeah. So, yeah. They're expecting like waterfalls and trees in the lobby. Yeah. yeah. And grass growing <laughs> on, on the walls and things like that. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, it's all different. 
Do you use bamboo at all? We use uh, we use bamboo on some floors and mm. things like that. But you know, it's it's more product driven mm-hmm. and low E glass, low energy glass, and more natural light and less fluorescent lights. Mm. And uh, we you know we don't sprinkler our grounds so we're saving water mm. and we recapture water mm. if you know if we have drip systems and mm-hmm. all sorts of things yeah yeah better mechanical systems mm. you know they're yep i uh i got a question for you you seem to excelled in two very complex like no shortcut fields like there's there's no shortcut to becoming and uh, you're in the North Carolina Tennis Hall of Fame. Like there's there's no shortcut. Like it's not dumb luck. Like you have to put in the work. Yeah. And to build a a skyscraper, like there's no, there's no like, you don't accidentally build a skyscraper. Mm-hmm. You dedicate, you put in the time, you learn everything about it to get there. It seems to me you're the kind of guy that likes to take big challenges and, and solve puzzles. Do you... I'm just curious, do you feel like you have, and even when I said that you were kind of rolling your eyes, I got the feeling that you're the kind of, you're the kind of guy that doesn't really want to talk about the successes, but you, you enjoy the process of learning so much. Like I want, I'm curious from your perspective, what's the role of mistakes or missteps been in your life? Uh, Great, great comment. I would say the journey. <clears throat> the journey is what it's all about. It really is. I mean, we talk about a lot of time in the company about how we should have written diaries over every project. So you <laughs> could, because the journeys are just so awesome. Yeah. And at the time, some of them are not. Some I mean, things are a lot more fun in hindsight. I mean, it's like, it's some things are great stories. Well, I mean, it's later. like it's like losing a tennis match when you're up 4-1 in the fifth set at Wimbledon, you lose 9-7 in the fifth set. That's not so much fun. Yeah. That's, I'll remember that match for the rest of my life. But, you know, just by losing matches like that, did I get into this business? So it's a journey. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, And then, you know, the the trials and tribulations we've had in the business are always there. There's always, we call it, Murphy is always buried under every building and you just gotta <laughs> you, you know, Murphy's law what down, can go wrong will go wrong he's down there waiting he's that. down there waiting and he's got a lot of relatives too oh, he's God. got uh, Indian bones and a bunch of weird stuff it's terrible <laughs> it, it really is it's it's terrible what can happen but you it's about problem solving mm-hmm. and 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 not you know not thinking everything is you know a catastrophic event I've had a catastrophic event happen in my life and if you compare a child's sickness to a problem you have in business, it's a microcosm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you end up putting everything in perspective mm-hmm. that allows you to deal with things that some people would think are catastrophic. And you sense to believe that they're just a bump in a road and we'll find the solution. So yeah. I, I think, you know, for me, that's probably um, how I'm able to deal with, you know, it's very nervous. You're borrowing a lot of money. Yeah. You know, we got you know, we got a lot of hundreds of millions of dollars out there and we got to pay it back. Mm-hmm. And so those type of things can make people 
more nervous than others. Yeah. But uh, if you believe in what you do, you might not be as nervous. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So you, you expect problems. I mean, they're going to have expect problems. I remember um, in my previous position, I would often be venting or talking about some work stuff or some stress that's good. And my wife would usually find a way to bring up kind of semi-regularly like, yeah, but you like that. Like yeah. you, you like the shit. Like <laughs> I'm the kind of guy, like if, if an emergency happens, like I'm the one that's given directions, like yeah. you do this, you do that. Um, and I think that it's, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't think I, I don't like bad stuff to happen. Like I don't, but it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. You know, it's it's going to happen every yeah. day. Something bad is going to happen. It's just a matter of how you deal with it. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think today it's probably been blown out of proportion of what the definition of bad is mm-hmm. and just, you <laughs> yeah. know, things, you know, there's a word that says something happens, you know, so yeah. it's with you know, four <laughs> yeah. letters. Yeah. But uh, and just if you get up and realize hey, we can solve that. Hey, that's yeah. not the end of the world. We can solve that. So anyway, but you also don't get to, um, you know, you, you don't want to get too ahead of yourself or over your skis because mm-hmm. uh, sports can bring you back to reality pretty quick. Yeah. And so you learn that that you don't want to get too confident. Yeah. Yep. So would you go as far as saying that failure is necessary? Yeah. Yeah. It's part of the journey. I think the journey is only made because of failure. I, I don't remember the wins. I don't, I don't remember hardly any of the wins. I remember all the failures. The losses. Uh, mm-hmm. it, well, the losses were failures mm-hmm. at that time, Yeah, but they could have actually been successes and you didn't know it. It's kind of yeah. like the Bible says better to attend a funeral than a wedding, right? You learn more from a... <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, you, well, you seem like a really positive guy. So I know you don't mean like, I only remember the failures and the fatalistic. I like to beat myself up over uh, it and live in regret. No, I, I'm like, not, I don't mean it like that. I mean the, the, um, I'm a hundred percent positive every day, but don't get cocky because you're positive and don't think that failures won't happen. Failures are to be solved. Hmm. F- trouble, Murphy's law, problems, you know, you have to become a problem solver. Yeah. And I call, you know, setbacks. My setbacks might be a little bit of that journey. Mm-hmm. Fail, not not true failures. Failures is a hard word for me to define because I'm not used to using that word. Yeah. I would say setbacks yeah. is more probably appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably some of the challenge with defining success and failure because they're a way to define something that already happened. And life is still happening. Yeah. Like it's really hard to put anything in that category. You could have a terrible thing happen in your family that alters the course of it, but that doesn't define your family or doesn't have to. You could fast forward years later and it could be the thing that ended up bringing you closer together. Um, And so it's really difficult to (laughs) apply a word that I think is meant for past tense stuff to things that are happening right now. Mm Stay in today. Yeah. Sort of like God says, right? Live yeah. in the moment. Yeah. Yep. Nice. It's a it's a healthy way to look at life. And I think it's unfortunate that for some people it takes hitting rock bottom to introduce themselves to that principle. I'm thinking of like AA or something to to realize that there's things that are outside of your control. And that really what you should focus on is today and just being present. Hmm. 
Have you been meditating? We decided to meditate. I'm, doing, I'm, I'm doing it right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah. That's why you asked. A little time right? you with yourself, it. right? <laughs> you just kind of zoning out over there. Uh, I'm listening. I'm listening. <laughs> do you have any, um, do you have any weapons of choice that you think are just, man, you should be doing these things daily. They work for me. Are you an evangelist for any kind of certain approach or discipline in your life? Yeah, I think you you do have to t- have time with yourself. Mm. Yeah, um, and and to take it all in, what's going on, mm. and you you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, you gotta you you gotta have faith, and you have to stay strong, mm. and you do, and it's really hard, depending on what you're going through, yeah, to be able to do that, but. You, you know, you, you have to, and what I say by looking in that mirror, you you have to believe in yourself Mm -hmm. because no one else is going to do it for you. Yeah. And that's a hard thing for a lot of people. There's a, there's a history that goes with, like you keep using the word faith. And I think for, for me, when I think of faith, I don't think of it as like a blind belief, but there's a history to it. Like I know last time something bad happened, it worked out because of faith. Hmm. And so when a misstep or a mistake or something comes up, it's not a fatalistic, like, Oh no, what's going to happen. It's like, this has worked out before. I think one of the, one of the best moments in my marriage, uh, was when my wife just showed faith in me and it was one of the most meaningful things I had. I often rip into home projects without the qualifications necessary to do it. I think it's on YouTube, I'll YouTube it. Mm-hmm. I got this. And in our last house, I decided I'm going to redo the flooring, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I've never redone flooring before and I've never used Pergo, but I bought Pergo and then excuse to buy tools. I'm in like, I'm just gonna, oh. I'm going to want to do it myself. And it has not been, uh, I'm not saying be like me is what I'm saying, (laughs) but I enjoy it. And I was in this process and I had the house tore up at the same time. I decided to like redo a big part of the kitchen. So everything's all over and it's been this way for a month and I'm halfway into fixing the floor and I'm ticked off because I'm having that moment where I realize I did it again. I did the dumb thing. I bit off more than I could chew. I don't learn lessons. Like this is why did I do it again? And um, I'm sitting on the floor. I'm frustrated. The freaking thing won't go where I need it to go. And uh, Lori comes in and she, I'm sure she could tell that I was frustrated. And instead of having that moment where she's like, well, you've done this before, dummy. Like, I don't know why you expected something different. I've seen you do this 20 times. All she said was, uh, you'll figure it out. You always do. See. And it reminds me of that, that story you told about your coach, which I think is such an interesting moment. Everybody's taking pictures of the person that, that they want to look at, but, but your coach grabs a little, uh, Instax. Yeah. Instant camera and snaps that picture of you. Those moments are incredible. Yeah. Have you found, have you got to be the person taking the picture for people? That's a great question. Uh, you hope you hope you're able to somewhat be that person without choreographing it yeah. for your children at some point yeah. in their life. And you, you know it's really hard. I, I I tried to do everything I could to be there for my kids when they were younger, playing sports and stuff, and not be yeah. the pushy ex athlete. Yeah, and so. 
helping them uh, have opportunities without losing being a father mm. was probably the moment for me that meant so much to me. Like, you know, being able to have conversations with your son and they all not be about something he's doing with his swing yeah. when he was playing golf. So to your point, you know, I think you got to, I think you just have to, you know, being there for people yeah. sometimes is all you can do and, mm-hmm. and giving them, uh, giving them words of encouragement. Yeah. And, opportunity. I, I like to say this for the younger people at work and for my children, I like to see them. I give them enough rope to fail. I just don't want them to fall off the cliff Yeah, by themselves. I'll be there to save them from having major failure. Mm-hmm. I want them to struggle mm-hmm. and then, you know, help them before they fail. Yeah. You know, you, I think again, it goes back to that journey, right? If they have to work to be successful at anything, mm-hmm. it's more better for them in the long run yeah. than doing it for them. Yeah. And then they don't, they didn't learn anything. Yeah. Right. So my, da- my dad did a great job of that. What's your greatest priority? In life. Or, I mean, you know, <laughs> you that's choose, a pretty big question. Uh, I think, you know, I think being a, a a decent person, doing the right thing and and probably in the eyes of the Lord doing the right thing. And, and then also, uh, you know, taking advantage of my advantage, which was being American and, um, you know. And I have to say, you, you being an American, when Andy says this, it's because he's traveled extensively as a pro tennis player. So he saw these things in many different countries and learned to appreciate and value being born into a country where there are opportunities for people to achieve. And, and that's, that's what you mean, right? Yeah. I I think, I think it's probably twofold. If you dig a, you know, when you peel back the onion, sometimes you find a little bit more once you start peeling back layers, but yeah. So I, I was adopted at birth. Wow. So you don't know, I had no interest in finding out where I came from or who I came from. Wow. So my parents adopted me because they couldn't have kids. Mm. And so you, you get an opportunity in life and then you're, I could have been born anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. Wow. In a cave someplace, but I was born in America, Mm. born in this area. That's really successful. North Carolina, baby, North Carolina. And, uh, there you find yourself uh, getting a bunch of second chances. Yeah. And so you do travel the world and see all the other countries and see how many problems there are. Yeah. And I think when you come back here and I've been to every state in this country, they're all great. They're all different, but we got more opportunities than any other country in the world. And I just saw it. I was told, I was told by my father early on that, you know, I had to provide for my children better than I was provided for and that I had an obligation to, you know, to be a good citizen. To And, and I don't know, when you travel around the world and saw what I saw, mm-hmm. I, I would pay. I went to more third world countries than you've ever imagined in your life. Yeah. And I would pay a guy $100 a week to just be my taxi cab driver. Yeah. 
So I would get, and I'd usually tip him on. Was he packing? Some of them probably were, but some of these, I would tear the hundred dollar bill up, give it to him. That's more money than he'd make in six months. Yeah. $200. All right. I'd do the first hundred, see if he'd stay, yeah. tear it in half. And I'd give him a real hundred dollar bill because I'd torn it in half. Want him to be there. He would drive me around. The first places I'd go before I went to a hotel was I said, take me to the poorest part of town. Mm-hmm. The poorest part of town. And most of them would make me wear a hat and make me put a, a blanket over my Face because they couldn't see that I was white eyed, blue eyed white guy. Yeah, from America. And they would take me around. I'd see these places. Yeah. I saw more things than you could have. I was 21 years old, 22. I saw more things than I'd ever seen in my entire life. I was from North Carolina. Wow. I didn't know anything. What an education. And it, and it sticks with you for the rest of your life. You see families of eight living in one round room. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard not to look at the opportunity here and be like, oh, you just could compare it to. Yeah. Holy smokes. When you when you see it like I saw it as a young kid. When you're there. Yeah. You're there living. It's not like you saw it on TV. Yeah. You see it. You can't believe that's it. my wife is from the Philippines and just going our son was born there, living there a year, just being in a third world country. It just really puts things into perspective, doesn't it? Makes you not so lazy here. Well, it makes you appreciate it. Appreciate it, yeah. Yeah. And that's why I probably I fault myself sometimes, you know. I don't, I don't know how I would judge myself, but I just try to, you know, do the best I can with what I've been given. And, you know, and, and, you know, that doesn't mean you can't have your goals set lower, Mm -hmm. but whatever your goals are, at least try to achieve them. Right. Mm -hmm. So. And make the world a better place. Yeah. We'll make our little world. I don't know if I'm going to change the world, but I'm going to make my little area a better place. I think that goes back to what you can control. Like, I think for a lot of people, and I know when we started the podcast, there's a lot of podcasts. There's a lot of podcasts better than our podcast. Yeah, there that are. exists. It's true. <laughs> Not, <laughs> and, today. Uh, <laughs> Not today. <laughs> Not in this episode, <laughs> clearly. But uh, I think the, I was thinking, I want to talk to people that have been successful that have been successful. Yeah. But I want to talk to people that have a version of success that I can, I can relate to. Mm. Like I, I can't imagine like, I think one of the key components for a lot of podcasts that make them interesting and I'm not knocking them. I love those. Po- I listen to them all the time. Like Dak Shepard's podcast. Yeah. I'm sure expert. Sure. It's fantastic. And he gets to interview famous people. Yeah. So I feel like I'm invested because I know a little bit about them and I feel like I know them, which is probably completely untrue. I don't know them at all. Um, but what I found is that what has got me so energized about this particular podcast that we're doing mm-hmm. is that almost everybody, like when you, like you mentioned, peel back the levels of the young and people's story, like their, why their ambition, their, what they're about, what makes them tick is so much more interesting in the long scheme of things than the list of their accomplishments. Yeah. I don't, I don't like the list of accomplishments. That's not, I don't wake up every day wanting to do that list. Yeah. I, I It's funny. Some people ask all the time, who's your competitors? Who do you compete with? Nobody. Mm. You, you just do the best you can. Yeah. It, what y'all are doing, try to have the best shows. I'm just trying to do the best I can. Yeah. It, it's, it's not about what people think, yeah. what the accolades you might get. You just mm. do them. Yeah. I'm still trying to formulate my opinion on what I think about this particular question. Cause I've, I remember we were talking about a podcast we listened to the other day. In fact, it was Dak Shepard and he had a guy on and he was talking about a book that he written and he was defining what are some of the successful components of people that have 
found fulfillment in life. And one of the components that he mentioned is that is they don't care about the destination, which seems to fly in the face of conventional wisdom. Like you should have a plan. You should have a six year plan, three year plan. And what are you doing to do that today? And I guess where I'm a little bit confused is I don't think they conflict the way I'm building them up in my mind. Like you can still have a long-term plan and still live in the moment. But to what you were saying, I think you're kind of living proof of the other mentality that it was never about doing the thing. The accomplishment was never the thing. It was about the way I went after it. Yeah. I think you wake up and to your point, it's a little hard. I say it all the time, live in the moment. And then I have to do goals. So people say, well, that's a comfort. But my projects take so long Mm -hmm. to put together and to do you, you do have to have some goals and, you know, absolutely you can't predict the future, but you got to prepare for it. OK, mm, yeah. which you have to live your life, understanding what's going on today and then kind of have some ambitions and yeah. you know some goals. We we won't hit them. We won't hit our goals, but we'll try. Yeah. OK, so. I think it, I think it's hard to set your sights, especially when you're young and when you're trying to go out and start something. I think you've got to give yourself some legitimate expectations. You have to get a little better every day. We used to use 1% a day. If I could get 1% better in tennis a day, then where, yeah. where might I be? That's hard to do because if you were limited in talent like me, you, you were just trying to maybe get a tenth of 1% better. <laughs> but. And, and, but at the same time, you can see the progress. That's the funny yeah. thing about sports. Yeah. If you, if you can't, you, if, <laughs> thank you. You look out there last year and say, am I better this year than I was last yeah. year? If you're not, you may need to start right. focusing on another direction. There are some jobs that exist that you can never practice or develop and no one would know. No one and would know. There are some jobs where it's like, oh, everybody knows. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you have to decide what that job is and who you are as a person, yeah. right? On what kind of, how you like to look at things. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people want to do their job and just do it the same for a while. And that's fine. Know, yeah. know who you are, right? Yeah. Well, do you think, and here's another way to look at it. And this is why I keep struggling with like this destination thing, because I doubt that in your story, the destination was play tennis, become really good and then build buildings. Mm, I never, I, I, I never, I had this dream and I mean that sincerely. everybody should in their life be fortunate enough to in be part of a dream. Yeah. Because I just had this dream that I wanted to play college tennis and I did. And while I was having that dream, I said, well, now that you're here, let's, we got to give it a try. Hmm. And when you get to live, you know, in yeah. that dream, it's almost surreal. Yeah. You, and so then you're out there and to get to do it was like, I mean, you really are living a fantasy. Mm. You're walking out there going, I, I can't believe this. Yeah. And um, and then it to your point, and then it comes to a crashing halt. Mm. You, you, you've got to pick it up and what or that decision on what I'm going to do after that. Yeah. Think about, you know, people always come to you and say, would you like to go back to an earlier time in your life and start yeah. over? You know, I mean, people yeah. have asked you, you that. Go back they and... ask you that all the time. I yeah. can't tell you how many people have said, what year would you go back and start over? And you know what my answer is? Yeah. Never. Hmm. I couldn't do it. 
Because if I did, which fork might I have taken that took me away from today? At the same time, you know, if I hadn't broken my hand, would I be in this business? Mm -hmm. And and you don't know. So you take, so you just move on for us, right? So you still playing tennis? No, I got my hip replaced a year and a half ago, and I got stem cells injected in both knees. And Uh-oh. so I'm paying the price of not being a very good athlete and uh, and having to work so hard. <laughs> but um, I did a lot of volunteer work for, for tennis to raise a lot of money for right. underprivileged and um, help the United States Tennis Association a lot. And uh, that was my way of giving back to a sport that, you know, gave me so mm-hmm. much. But uh, fun. That's awesome. Um, so do you, did you ever get really good at table tennis? Table tennis. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Rainy days. Are most, are most tennis players good at table tennis? Not bad. Really? <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> what do you think you about- see, we didn't have video games. We didn't have handheld computer. We didn't have anything back yeah. then. So when it rained at a tournament, yeah. you played table tennis. How about pool, that? You shot pool and played table tennis. How about that? Well, it does keep it going. The brain gets yeah. that motion right yeah, a little yeah. bit. It's- have you ever gotten into pickleball? Pickleball. I played pickleball. I played pickleball. And now with a fake hip and stem cells and knees, pickleball is is probably the the game of the aging. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm not gracefully aging, by the way, you know, with all these. Yeah. Take note, our aging listeners. Yeah. Partial, you know, new joints and everything else. So that's great. Yep. Yeah. Any anything else for Andy? Um. I just wanted to say thanks for taking the time and coming nice down, coming down to my basement, hanging out it's with awesome. us. Awesome! Yeah, you rock, <laughs> yeah. Andy. Thank you. You so guys much. are doing a great job. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. And anything, any anywhere that anybody can learn more about you or what you do that you'd like to share with the audience, our um, Dominion Realty Partners, anything like that, or we don't have to add it, but we could just thought I'd throw it out there. Want to no, promote I, anything right no, now? No promotions. This okay. was, uh, no, no books coming out. <laughs> I got no books. I. New yeah. album drops in uh, April. No, no, this, <laughs> this is, uh, this is, yeah, this is uh, the, the reason that I came today was uh, because of what your podcast stands for about help motivating people to, you know, to, to maybe go out and yeah. do what they want to do to be successful in whatever field uh-huh. they're in. If I can help do that, that's really what it's awesome. all about because I learned through experiences. When I got in my real estate business, I went and bought lunch for five men that were 80 years old that were very successful and asked them a lot of questions. That's a lot of wisdom in one room. Wow. And I did it individually. Okay. Okay. Because I didn't want them to feed off each other. I wanted to know individually what they would say. And believe it or not, to a T, all five of them said there's one, I asked them if there was one thing they would do again. And they said not retire. Mm. Mm. That it was too, too boring for them. But that, you know, I learned a lot in that, those meetings, talking to the older people who had gone down my path. <laughs> and so for me, being able to possibly hit a note with a young person today mm. to give back the way they gave to me and taught me some things that, aren't obvious to all of us that they lived and experienced it were very successful. Uh, those things are really critical. So if anybody is inspired, feel free to reach out to Andy and buy him lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you exactly. Go. Thanks everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Andy. Thanks. All right. I really enjoyed that podcast with Andy Andrews. 
Andy Andrews is such a gosh. What do I want to say? He's like he's like two two rock stars in one, right? And to go from pro tennis to building skyscrapers, wow! And really, his heart is in continuing that legacy yeah. of inspiring other people. I really like his answer at the end when we asked him if there was anything that he wanted to push, and I think I learned something because I think early on when we started the podcast. Mm. Um, I was thinking, and I remember saying to you, like, I think part of the value of people wanting to be on the podcast would that they'd get an opportunity to talk about what they're up to and promote their stuff, which is yeah, great. Yeah. But uh, both him and Neil Bailey and, and the other people that we've yeah. had on the show, they didn't seem to have really any interest in pushing their stuff. Yeah. We're like, come on, people, don't you want to uh, sell something? But it's here? the idea of guys who do stuff isn't about pushing or promotion. It's about encouragement. It's yeah. about inspiration. It's about, and a guy like Andy and he recorded a little bit after when he left, um, just telling us a little bit more about that. If he could get an opportunity to pay it forward mm-hmm. and help out, like he felt he was helped out by people who had wisdom, people who had been there, people who were further down the journey than he was. Yeah. Then that's exciting to him, mm-hmm. which is cool. That's right. Yeah. The coach thing. Mm-hmm. The tutor, the 2D. Yeah. I would say that's what I think this week's challenge should be. What's that, Joe? Is that we should challenge our users and challenge ourselves. Yeah. Well, we don't have users. <laughs> you know, the drug users, <laughs> oh, our gosh. drug users. Yeah. Yes, we should challenge the users to uh, our listeners and ourselves to find a moment this week where you can be a coach. Oh, yeah. And have that instamatic camera moment where it seems like everybody else is looking at something else. And you're just over there tying your shoes. You're just over there tying your shoes. And finding a way to just encourage somebody in an ordinary moment. That's right. By being there. That is a big deal. That can, that ripple effect is yeah. uh, pretty huge, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Go and do those it. are the moments that you remember for a long time. That's right. That's that, right. that was like a moment that like one of the biggest moments in his life, wasn't it? Yeah. That, that moment. So go find somebody this week. People get out there and do it. Let's challenge each other, Joe. I'm holding you to this. All right. All right. We need to... Help people understand that we see them. Yeah. And that we believe in them. Yeah. And find a, find a moment to make that instamatic camera moment. Yeah. I think like he said, it's a great point. It's probably, I was thinking the first thing I thought about was doing that in the lives of my kids. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Of course. I think that's a huge part of yeah. If you're a parent, like, like, oh yeah, that's a, that's something that we can make happen and learn to recognize the opportunities. It might not just be in your family. Yeah. It might be somebody you, you, you put in front of this week and you just have that. You remember the, mm-hmm. these words and you do it. Yeah. Or if yeah. you've had a moment like that. So if you do that and it's an awesome story, share it, go to that red button on guys who do stuff.com yeah. and drop us. us. We'd love to hear that on the show yeah. or tell us your favorite moment. Oh, when somebody has done that, Instamatic. Is that the right word? Instamatic camera. We moment? can call it instamatic moment. Instamatic moment. Well, yeah. We, they're, oh, it's just a hashtag trademark. <laughs> <laughs> a moment. You can buy the t-shirts in our gift shop. Yeah. A moment to make a difference in some a difference in somebody else's life. So definitely share that with us. Yeah. That's a great idea. Just use that red button and, and share it. Yeah. Guys yeah. who do stuff.com. Yeah. Check Let's it do out. this. And thanks for listening. We do. Thank you for this. You guys have a great day. Adios. Adios.